0: This is Chloe Vollmer from University of Florida's OTD program.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Jada Baker, and I'm a former OT student at Arkansas State University.
0: This is Dr. Robin Axelrod. On my drive to work one morning, I thought, how could I promote unity between OT and OTA students? How could I foster communication and leadership skills and promote our amazing profession? Welcome to my OT Journey podcast.
1: Hello everyone I am Jada Baker and I'm a student at Spalding University pursuing my OTD.
0: My name is Chloe Vollmer and I am a student at University of Florida pursuing my OTD. We are here today with accomplished researcher and occupational therapist Dr. Carly Rogers, a leader in the field of surf therapy. I actually found Dr. Rogers when watching TED Talks on occupational therapy and I was deeply inspired by what her talk was about and what her mission was. So today, we'll get to learn about the path she has taken to success within occupational therapy, research, and her family. Overall, I'm just really excited and honored that we get to speak today. So thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us today, Dr. Rogers. Thank you for the invitation. Of course. Um, So would you mind opening it up by just telling us a little bit about yourself and your journey into the field of occupational therapy? like? What chose you, or what led you to choose um, occupational therapy, and what was your path um, through your education? It, it's a really fun story, so I would love to open up with that.
2: Uh, <laughs> I, so we're going to go back to 1994 when I graduated high school. That will uh, give me a date. But um, I became a Los Angeles County Ocean Lifeguard, and... Uh, I also started school at Northern Arizona University first uh, in the mountains. I'm a beach girl from uh, Los Angeles, and, you know, along with my lifestyle career of being on the ocean, I also was really craving kind of the mountains and, and being away from the beach and trying something different. And so those were two big things, moving to the mountains, but also taking on this responsibility as an ocean lifeguard. And, and at 18, that seemed huge, just making sure people were safe at the beach, but it was also really inspiring and really fun. But along with that, in um, the fall of 1994, my mother passed away uh, instant in a, in a very quick passing. And... That that kind of started a lot of introspection for me. I was a freshman in the dorms, and uh, luckily I was in that natural environment where I didn't have the ocean, which I found later was my main healing space, but I kind of, I found myself taking really long walks in the forest. I'd go down to a place called Sedona that actually has, uh, it's known for healing benefits, and I sat and wrote in a journal and kind of processed a lot of life and a lot of grief. But along that way, I also found my way to the University of California at Santa Barbara because I knew I needed the ocean in my life. So I transferred. But meanwhile, in both places, I was studying psychology. And that focus was from some trauma, both the trauma of losing my mother, but also some childhood trauma. And my aim there was that... I wanted to make a difference in psychology, I wanted to work with children, and I knew that the support that I had had as a child, I didn't feel like it was really functional, I felt like we just sat and talked, and it didn't really, I didn't feel like it pushed me forward, or we made progress, and so I wanted to learn more about psychology and how that could work me through those traumas. Um. In that process, I also, uh, I ended up going abroad. So this is going a little more towards OT. It's kind of scaffolding to my career. But I ended up going on semester at sea in the fall of 97, and I got to travel around the world on a, on a um, 450-foot cruise ship with 100 other students. And
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> it's such a fun story, so I'm excited to tell share this with
0: our OT student
1: population.
0: But,
2: so here I am in Vietnam. I was actually on crutches because I had slipped doing aerobics on the top deck of the ship. So, one, I'm dealing with my own disability at that time, but I am in Vietnam, and a girlfriend inspired me to do some service work. And... As they were labeled, you know, it was an opportunity through the ship once we uh, landed in Vietnam, and it was, they were labeled as a school for the deaf, a school for the blind, and a school for the mentally handicapped. Clearly, we've changed that language since then. This was 1997. But, uh, you know, at the first school, we we were at this school for those with hearing um, impairment, and they ended up performing this song for us. And I became I just like I have the chills telling the story right now with you two. but I just became so invigorated by their lack of inhibition. They just like, they sang from their soul, and they were so happy to share with us. And so I, I started getting these feelings. And then we went, this was all in one day. Um, but then we went to the school for the children. Um that were visually impaired and um, they, sorry, I'm telling the story out of line. The first was visually impaired. The second school was with hearing impaired. So the first was singing and then the second was hearing impaired. And we ended up, they had a bunch of sidewalk chalk and we went outside and we drew these pictures to communicate and these small children were just so vibrant in, in their abilities you know and that's what occupational therapy is all about what are the abilities in the face of disability and then in the third setting i remember the the staff at this orphanage they wanted to share tea and talk about the pragmatics of their you know their clinic and their space and how they worked with the children and i was literally jumping in my seat because i just wanted to spend time with these children And I remember just moving into this space and I found myself in a room and it was, you know, white metal cribs, very little on the walls. And there was a child laying on his back and I started singing to him and I saw that his hands, he did not have the bilateral coordination to bring his two hands together to clap. And just instinctually, I, I, you know, I, grabbed his hands and I brought them together and I gave him that proprioceptive input he needed. And he started clapping and I was singing and we were clapping together. So it was this beautiful shared occupation. And I remember the professor, it was actually a geography professor that was in the room with us and there were several other students. And he made every other student stop and he said, you guys, you need to stop and watch this this experience happening right now, and I looked up with him, and I, I'm so in the moment right now with you. <laughs> and he looked, and I looked at him, and I just knew I was done. That I was going to work with these this, this population, and and that was it. And from there, I next found myself in India, <laughs> and I was on a bus with a girlfriend, and she and I were in a grief group, um, so I'm going to touch on all of these experiences on our talk, um, but she and I were on a in this um, kind of grief group on the ship where her father was experiencing he was dealing with cancer and having a battle at cancer at home while she was on this experience on the ship. And I was still processing the grief of my mother's passing. This is, you know, several years later. And we just connected and we ended up traveling in India together. And uh, I told her about my experience in Vietnam. And she said, Carly, there's this camp I've been volunteering at for a very long time. It's at the YMCA, or through the YMCA, and you need to come. And we actually ended up both being from a similar area in Los Angeles, and this camp was in Big Bear in in the mountains nearby, and I said, okay. So, you know, several months later, I get a handwritten letter. I had no communication with this beautiful woman, and she said, Carly, here's the details for camp. You need to go. I'll see you there. So (laughs) I ended up going to this camp, and it was a five-week outdoor experience for individuals uh, across the lifespan with special needs or um, challenges, and we took them camping. We lived in dorms, and we did ropes courses, and we had dances, and I just remember it made me feel so so alive and so connected. And it was on that trip that I met uh, Amy Saliba, who is an rehab occupational therapist in Los Angeles. And she directed me towards occupational therapy, she was going into studying at the University of Southern California. And I found myself talking with her and friends of hers, and right then and there it was, oh, my gosh, this is me. I, I need to be an occupational therapist. And, you know, that story just spans several years, and there was a time um, amongst that when I was at UCSB, and I found myself studying psychology and feeling feeling stuck. Like I, I felt like this therapy could be extreme. Banded so much more outside of a room. And that's just me. Um, I'm, I'm a little on uh, the ADD spectrum, and I need to move at all times. And I just I felt like, no, that's not the right path. And, and then I went through a, a path where I was going to be a surfing journalist, but I was a little delayed in that. And then finally, it just the more I volunteered, and the more I connected with the population of People with um, disabilities, it, it or special abilities, it, it kept bringing me back, and so then it led me to that conversation with Amy, where it's like, this is this is what I need to do. And then I was doing pre-reqs, and I ended up at USC. <laughs> so it's a long story, but um, I think the beauty and in my reflection on that path is that. Uh, just being really open to what makes you feel alive and and what you feel connected to really does show you a path to a profession that's meaningful, and uh, you'll be more motivated if you're meaningfully engaged with it.
0: Wow, that's so true. And I just feel like um, that's so interesting to hear your path and how... Um, It was just, like, such a long time in the making. Um, I feel like a lot of the other people that I've talked to about kind of why they chose OT, it's, like, something that started way before they even knew what OT was. (laughs) And then a series of events or different things, like, led them to figuring out, um, yeah, this is, like, what really resonates with me and what I want to do for the rest of my life. So, um, yeah, I just love hearing people's stories of how they got there. So thank you for sharing.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. It, um, you know, it just felt so right fusing, you know, occupation with uh, mental and physical health. It just makes sense. And, you know, I think some of my story definitely gave me this um, scaffolding as well for outdoor therapy. And uh, it'll be exciting to get into that research. But uh, it was definitely just feeling that visceral connection and following it. And I I look back and I'm so, so, so grateful (laughs) for our profession. It's awesome.
1: So what was your first job after finishing your master's at USC? And do you have any concerns or considerations in choosing the job that you did?
2: Uh, Yeah, I would love to share that with you. So while I was at USC, I was focused on pediatrics. Um, I I definitely felt connected to kids through my lifeguarding job, I I taught junior lifeguards. And so uh, during my coursework at USC, I took a a school based uh, course, I took uh, the prerequisites for sensory integration and practice tests. At that time, you could take, I think it was course one and four. <laughs> uh, I might be wrong, but you could take half of the, the certification courses during uh, your master's work. And uh, And so with my field works, I did a level one at Pediatric Therapy Network in Los Angeles. And it is It is where Gene Ayers created sensory integration. And uh, when I was there, they had a multitude of different programs, which they still do today. They had uh, they did have a clinic where sensory integration was practiced. They had uh, school based services. They had early intervention. They had a social skills program. So it was a really big wrap around. facility with all these different opportunities and learning opportunities. And so I did a level one, I was only there for two weeks. But I was very, very connected to uh, my clinical supervisor at that time. And that uh, was later in her wedding. <laughs> but um, I also did a level two in school based practice, which I really enjoyed. But when deciding On what I was going to do afterwards, kind of both of those opportunities were there for me. I ended up choosing to work at Pediatric Therapy Network for the training. I really felt like it was important for me to have a whole community of therapists around me as I was receiving kind of, you know, those initial years as a clinician. And and I definitely haven't looked back on that choice, uh, you know, with the clinic and the school-based scenario, I could definitely make more money as a school-based practitioner, and looking at the amount of loans I had at USC, I was definitely making that decision, but uh, the training that I got and, you know, kind of my resume, I spent two years at Pediatric Therapy Network, and um, those two years were just invaluable, Um, and then I did transfer to a school-based setting after that, and I really feel... Uh, all of that training and certification and experience got me uh, this job at the school based setting and, you know, kind of put me ahead of the other people uh, applying at that time.
1: That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so that's interesting. I didn't know that um, you started in that because um as i had said with the ted talk it was um how i found dr rogers and um it it's kind of like a total <laughs> shift in gears um I definitely
2: have another life, which was concurrent, but when I think about our student population, I wanted to share, there wasn't any money in surf therapy when I (laughs) left USC. I graduated with my master's in 2004, so I definitely needed uh, a regular income, and I guess, you know, before we get into the surf therapy realm, um, I spent two years at Pediatric Therapy Network, and then I spent four years uh, at Manhattan Beach Unified School District. And then um, and then I ended up uh, Oh, I ended up going part time that fourth year, so that I could kind of go in kind of part time on the other side of therapy. And then I ended up leaving school base to go back and get my OTD. So that's kind of that timeline. But as we go into surf
0: therapy, that's a whole nother
2: uh, trajectory in my life.
0: I see So that's how it all comes together. Did you end up getting your um, OTD from USC as well? I did. I did. So that's, part of the surf
2: therapy on why I went back. (laughs) Do you want me to go into the surf therapy story? Yeah. So yeah.
0: How did you even find that? You know, like that's such a joke and I love hearing about it. It's so interesting. So yeah, I'll just let you um, just introduce (laughs) us to that whole part of your life.
2: Perfect. So um, this is back to the TED talk. So while I was in school at USC, so I'm back to my master's I uh, I was also in our third semester there. We we had a a course a community community based intervention course and the kind of the entirety of the course was creating a community based program and uh, and so before that sorry back in the timeline uh before i even got into ot school i had an experience um, along these kind of influential moments with uh, individuals with special abilities i was doing outreach for the los angeles county lifeguards and we would bring different populations from the inner city to the beach to teach them about safety and showing them access we would teach them about rip currents and uh you know we would also teach them a little bit about first aid and CPR and you know calling 911 if there's an emergency but it was a lot of these kind of more these these individuals that were were in Los Angeles but just didn't really have the understanding of how to stay safe at the beach and we also worked with children with special abilities. So this particular day, we, we brought a group down to the beach and I connected with a little boy with cerebral palsy and his care provider brought, you know, kind of wheeled the wheelchair out onto the sand. And this little boy was just like writhing in his chair. He was doing everything he could do to get out of his chair and his vision was totally locked on the ocean. And, I, you know, I'm trying to get off his seatbelt, and he, like, springs out of the chair, and we start crawling on the sand to get to the water. And at that time, I was really getting into surfing, and I think I was maybe 20. And, oh, no, I was probably 22 at this time, but it was a really big passion of mine, and I looked at this child's response, and I, you know, came into my head, and I said, Oh, my gosh, we need to take these children surfing, this is what they need. And so, fast forward back into this community based program, uh, course at USC, and my, my professor, Dr. Fazio, who became a lifelong mentor said, you know, what, what are your ideas, and I instantly said, I have an idea for a surf therapy program. And it was supposed to be a group and nobody else was interested. They had other plans of their own. And so she said, you need to do this. You need to write it. And I said, okay. So at that time, I started working on it. And uh, it was interesting because in my needs assessment, the several organizations that I reached out to felt uh, that it would be too unsafe for children with special needs, that parents of children with special needs would not allow their children to go to the beach and go surfing. Uh, That it was just, it was too unsafe. And I brought that information back to Dr. Basio, and she said, well, are there any other existing programs? And I said, yes. And at that time, there was Surfers Healing, which is still standing strong and providing services for children on the autism spectrum. There was Life Rolls On, which is still (laughs) rolling strong, um, and is an organization that reaches out to individuals with spinal cord injuries and other disabilities. And then um, the third one was Ride Away, which was out of Santa Cruz, that pretty much works with anyone. And and so I wrote that into my needs assessment. And when I was finished, I had this beautiful bound document called Ocean Therapy. And then... At some point, I must have ran down to my friends on the beach that I taught junior lifeguards with, the other L.A. County lifeguards, and I said, guys, I love school, I love OT, I got to write a surf therapy program, like, I'm just loving all of this, and they remembered that, Uh, and so – In 2004, I was kind of just thinking about work. You know, it was just this ocean therapy was a bound document. I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my career. And I started at Pediatric Therapy Network um, that fall. But it was that summer, August of 2004, that uh, a very influential lifeguard, Jimmy Miller, had a quick onset of mental illness. And ended up taking his life that summer, and I was I was really tragically moved by this loss, and uh, and it was interesting. So, you know, I started my career. It was a really there was a lot going on for me emotionally. But in October of two thousand four, so just two months later, Jeff Miller, Jimmy's younger brother, reached out to me. And he refers to me as C Raj with my nickname. <laughs> but he said, C. Raj, um, you know, it's not if we're gonna do something in our brother's memory, it's what are we going to do? And and he said, I remember you saying something about a surf therapy program and we met for coffee and he said, Carly, this is this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna we already have a board set up and we're starting this nonprofit. It's the Jimmy Miller Memorial Foundation, and uh, I think I think they're going to really want to do this. So, you know, let's let's see what happens. And it was unanimous, unanimously approved by the board, and we started Ocean Therapy in 2005. And you know, we were trying to figure out where to. Start start. And at first, Jeff said, you know, I would love to go into UCLA Neuropsychiatric Institute and take the whole inpatient floor surfing. But I think I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> right away. And, you know, we need to build and so we ended up starting with uh, they now now referred to at promise youth we've used the term at risk or underprivileged for some time. But that terminology has changed to At Promise. And so we started with At Promise youth in the Los Angeles area, knowing that they had been affected by quite a bit of trauma and and mental health was definitely warranted for that population. And we started with an organization called Holly Grove, which uh, at that time was an uh, inpatient facility for uh, children that were foster youth. And we did five sessions that first summer, and it was the most healing, inspiring, amazing summer ever. The children have these incredible responses to the intervention, and uh, we as well, you know, the theory or the, the theme of, of the Jimmy Miller Memorial Foundation is still we, we heal each other We heal others and ourselves one wave at a time. And so that summer was really, really heavy for the family that was on the beach at every session. And Jimmy's friends came and volunteered. But the children, like it was this beautiful reciprocal experience for everyone on the beach, just rinsing the trauma off and moving forward. And the way Ocean Therapy is set up, there's... um, when these groups, we have small groups, 10 to 12 children come to the beach, and uh, they there's an open circle, we welcome them with open arms, and they get sunscreen on, and they put a wetsuit on, and then we come into a circle, and we all share about a certain theme, uh, whether that's how they tackle a challenge, or um, how they might deal with a problem, and then after that initial circle, the participants learn to surf on the beach, and they get a quick land demo. They learn how to both stand up, and they learn how to fall safely. And then we go into the water, and they are supported one-on-one by a, uh, a professional surf instructor. But it's usually two-to-one where one uh Ocean Therapy Assistant will help with the child getting on the board and with the surf instructor, and then uh, they, they catch them when they come in. and. Uh, we hang onto the board at the back to make sure they're stabilized the whole time. I call it a backward chaining model, which you might have learned in school, uh, or you should have learned in school. But where I, the goal as a therapist was for the participant to really feel the exertion and the strength and standing strong and saying, "Oh my gosh, I I did it!" You know, I'm riding a wave. And then, you know, slowly we come back and we let go as they gain the balance and the skills to stand up and ride into the beach. Uh, and then there's a talking circle, then another surf session, and then we have lunch together. So there's this kind of shared time of enjoying the beach and a communal meal. And then there's one more circle at the end where. Uh, the participants, we kind of have a bigger picture. So, you know, what did you learn today and how can that benefit you in your daily life? Uh, so that's kind of the basic foundation for ocean therapy. And from, I guess, <laughs> do you have any questions about that first trajectory? I mean, it's, clearly it was uh, ocean therapy. I started, you know, this is 2005, so I can go into the trajectory of how we started with veterans. But I wanted to give you a chance to interject there.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean that's incredible hearing um just the whole journey to create like that fact that you really created that um whole protocol and you kind of had um I had read in your research before you had kind of touched on um ocean therapy as its own entity, um kind of separate um from surf therapy. But um for the listeners, um could you address that difference between surf therapy and ocean therapy?
2: Definitely. Uh, you know, and,
0: and I at this
2: point, I do not – there isn't a difference. <laughs> what we've found, and, you know, we might get into the International Surf Therapy Organization later, but I think in the beginning we were all – like, so there are these different therapy interventions and we all had our different protocols and different lengths and even different outcomes we were targeting. And, you know, our program, while while though there were all these physical benefits, uh, our initial aim was was mental health, self-efficacy, self-determination, we were looking at flow states, and then... You know programs like AMP Surf and Life Rolls On. They AMP Surf is another program for individuals with ampute, amputations, and um, those programs looked more at the adaptive surfing sense, and they used a lot more uh, supportive equipment, and they were kind of changing the board design to make it work for an individual with spinal cord injuries, and um, and so it's interesting because you know. In looking back, um, those those organizations they they started the ISA World Adaptive Surfing Championships, and you know there's all this focus on adaptive surfing where I think our program and definitely others popped up like it were focusing on more mental health and. And looked at it differently. And so ocean therapy was what we called our surf therapy intervention. It's what it was called at USC and and how we published it was ocean therapy. But we have definitely and when I say we, I think of all of our surf therapy colleagues around the world is that we realize we all have really different lenses on how we look at surf therapy, but at the same time, it's all surf therapy and um, and we're under this larger umbrella. And so uh, it's interesting there's a a paper published recently on the Jimmy Miller Memorial Foundation program, and they call it a surf therapy intervention rather than ocean therapy. And so, um, you know, they there, that is just what we called it or what I called it when I wrote it back then. And it's what the Jimmy Miller Foundation still calls their intervention. But, um, but like I said, there is a very large and beautiful and vast umbrella of surf therapy.
0: Awesome. Thank you for clarifying that. Yeah, um, I'm really excited to get into talking about the International Surf Therapy Organization um, a little bit later on. But I think Jada had um, just another question about the uh, the veterans and how you use that. Definitely. Oh, you want me? To, <laughs> sorry. Was there a question, or do you want me to just elaborate on that? Oh no, sorry. Um, I was um
1: checking, are you there? yeah, I'm there um, with the CERT therapy, how do y'all use that for the veterans? Excellent, so that um, that was another
2: trajectory. so in two thousand seven, two thousand and six, sorry, so we started in two thousand and five and two thousand and six there was some some press that came out where our veterans were not getting the rehabilitative services or just kind of overall services that they needed uh, at Walter Reed and you know it was the cover of the New York Times and it was actually our board members that brought that to the table and said you know I think ocean therapy would definitely be a supportive intervention for this population and personally As a pediatric therapist, I kind of sunk in my chair when this came up at a board meeting and, you know, for me at first I I didn't have experience working with the military or veterans Um, and and my father had been in the army uh, during Vietnam, but did not go to Vietnam, Uh, he ended up in Europe uh, with his orders and. And also, you know, I had done a level two in rehab, which I really enjoyed. But you know, a lot of my training had focused on pediatrics. So at first, I was kind of like, Whoa, I don't I don't know. I don't know about this. And I, I went to all of my mentors at that time and really talked about it. And, and how do I navigate this? And you know, this is in just, you know, right after Iraq and Afghanistan, are starting and, and and it was really interesting i just i just kind of felt the movement to see what would happen and you know it was unanimous by the board that we should really provide this intervention and i started doing a lot of research about combat ptsd and reintegration challenges and we ended up on a on a conference call with uh, an individual from the pentagon who was in charge of these rehab services and the support for what they were coming up with a term for wounded warriors at that time. And, and he, again, he said, you know, I, there's no way that uh, one of our orthopedic surgeons or one of our rehab specialists is going to allow a combat veteran with traumatic brain injury go surfing. It's too unsafe. And so it's so interesting that I have these two needs assessments that were like, no way. <laughs> and, uh, And I kept doing my research and we knew that we could wear helmets and we knew that we had a lot of supportive devices that we could support in this effort in the water. We had, you know, trained ocean lifeguards. And so we went back and we kept working through. One of our board members had some very influential connections and we ended up getting a meeting at Camp Pendleton. It's a Marine Corps base on the coast of California. And it was that time that Lieutenant, Lieutenant Colonel Swanson uh, would he said, you know, we'll give you a pilot run. You know, you can let's let's have you come down. We'll do two sessions and and we'll see what happens. So we did just that. And this is fall of 2007 that we finally got that meeting and. Um, you know, at that time, the Wounded Warrior Battalion was very small. It was just two barracks. I think they had 20 patients at that time. And they came down to the beach. Our Marines came down to the beach. And, you know, their their affect was completely closed off. Looking at the ground, no eye contact, kind of pale in emotion. And you know, at first we did our first talking circle and we're really doing our best to try and get, you know, get some momentum going, but it was really hard that first session. And, but then finally we, we got into the water and these Marines, like they, you know, everybody wipes out and surfing and some of them would fall off and they'd come up like just bursting out of the water. And it was like this rebirth. And we came back to the circle afterwards. And one of them said, I, I have to tell you, I haven't felt this alive since my injury. And, and, you know, all of them were like, just giving like, there was eye contact, there was laughing, and it was the juxtaposition of the two from the morning to the afternoon was just just really powerful and visceral. So the lieutenant colonel called us after those two sessions, and he said the change in the affect at the barracks is is visceral for all of us. You can feel this renewed energy. And so right then and there, we started the program with them. And that program started, it was just in the summertime. I think we maybe did five sessions, and then it grew to a twice-a-month year-round program. We ended up expanding to the Los Angeles VA and had a program in Los Angeles that's now monthly. And it was just really powerful. And I also saw a change in myself. Uh, I became really passionate about OT's role in supporting the return of veterans. And, you know, when you look at, the symptoms of post-traumatic stress, uh, first, there's a re-experiencing of the trauma. So they're constantly in flashback, or they have nightmares where they're re-experiencing. And in surfing, it's all about being in the present and being in the moment and this flow state and being connected to be successful. Um, you know, there's also kind of this low affect. And So it was was just really interesting how the experience of surfing could be this complete antithesis to the symptoms associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. And there was also this side of occupational therapy that we like PTSD affects or PTS symptoms, you know, really affects every experience in daily life and occupational therapy has these very, very simple simple anecdotes and, and practices and therapies to move them through those challenges. And so um, that became a passion. And what happened was the more I learned, the more connections I got with USC and I was invited back to do my OTD while doing uh, my year residency in an outpatient mental health clinic at the Los Angeles VA. And that was where I ended up uh, getting the opportunity to do a research study for surf therapy and ocean therapy, but I also uh, was able to kind of notice that OT wasn't as prominent in this mental health clinic. And along with my colleagues there, we created some mental health programming and groups around PTSD that ended up being really well attended, and we we had some really great outcomes there, uh, which, you know, I've presented those those two projects at AOTA, and, um, yeah, just so much to learn and so much to get passionate about, and, um, yeah, so that's the story of working with the military.
0: Wow, thank you so much for sharing. Um, Yeah, yeah, so just in talking about – AOTA and all of that, I didn't want to uh, go through (laughs) this interview without talking about you are quite the accomplished uh, researcher. So congratulations, you've had some exciting recent pu- publications that um, I know of. There's Emerging Hope Outcomes of a One-Day Surf Therapy Program with Youth of Promise, and that's uh, by Gregor V. Sarkisian, Chloe Curtis, and yourself. And then there's also Surf Therapy, a scoping review of the qualitative and quantitative research evidence. And there's been further evidence for the use <laughs> of ocean therapy uh, with them. Um, when I was surfing with those guys, I was surfing with Family, a grounded exploration of program theory within the Jimmy Miller Memorial Foundation Surf Therapy Intervention uh, by Jamie Marshall, Brendan Ferrier, Philip B. Ward, and Russell Martindale. So, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> that's so awesome. Like, what an inspiration. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about these articles? And uh, specifically, I was wondering why you chose to conduct a scoping review in particular. Um, And I know the people listening will be wondering where we can find and read these articles. So if you could just um, talk a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, um, so <laughs> I am having a really good month.
1: <laughs> it's
2: uh, I yeah, it's been it's been fun. I just had another continuing ed course on mental health for OTs published, and then this podcast, and I got to return to USC and do a talk for the bachelor students there or the MA one students, and it's, wow. it's it's really a fun month. You know, it can be really <laughs> slow and then really fun. So thank you uh, this. So these papers are published in the Global Journal of Community Psychology Practice, and, or the, the three that you mentioned. And Gregor Sarkeesian is uh, a community psychologist, and he teaches at Antioch University in Los Angeles. And he is one of the major inspirations for this publication. And once again, another serendipitous story in my life. This was 2015, uh, I had an OTD student reach out from uh, from USC who wanted to do his residency with us at Ocean Therapy at the Jimmy Miller Memorial Foundation. And uh, at that time I saw him, his name was Chad Hilmo, and I saw him as, a resource to really work on the program evaluation for ocean therapy. Um, Program evaluation is one of the tricky things or has been a really tricky thing with our ocean therapy program. And I wish I would have reached out earlier for more support. Um, I am, I, I really found that I am more the clinician, I really like being in the clinical space, I want to be with people, I I am just, that's, that's my, that's my thing. But with Ocean Therapy, I was, I was seeing the effects, which I mean, you know, our whole organization and beyond even the military and these youth organizations, we were all seeing the benefits. But I knew that it wasn't gonna be warranted or expanded on if there wasn't research. And I was a very novice research go- researcher going into my OTD, and but that was my goal. And uh, USC just jumped on board with me, and, and this is looking back to a paper that was published in AJOT, uh, and it's called High Intensity Sports, da-da-da. <laughs> but that was in 2014. but. So we, my professors jumped on board and I just, this is really important to me because I, I really want you all as students to know that your university and, and even the occupational therapy community as a whole are there for you to draw on for support. If you choose to go into research or program development, whatever you're doing, just really reach out to those resources, re, those resources, because, so I was in my OTD, I knew I wanted to do research, and I found myself trying to submit to the IRB at the VA, which is one of the most stringent uh, IRBs probably in the country, and uh, or even the world, because they really need to protect the benefits of their veterans. And so I ended up having, I think it was like a 200 page application for an IRB study. And uh, I went into USC and it was Dr. Deborah Pitts who really helped me in the mental health aspect. And Dr. Trudy Mallinson is uh, a researcher and she really held my hand in taking all of the clinical processes that I've been doing on the beach and putting them into research. And Uh, And then as well, Dr. Fazio. um, They all worked with me to really figure out how to implement this study. Sometimes they said, Carly, you're trying to do an OTD and a PhD at the same time. That's why you're really stressed out. Uh, So that would be one of the reasons why you would pick a PhD over an OTD. But... So it was in that once that paper got published, and I got that experience, and it's that paper that have had really given, or I found out later at um, amongst my international colleagues that it was the publication of that paper that really gave them the premise and a, a springboard for them to do their own research. And uh, I feel that's my my greatest compliment outside of my <laughs> my husband and my children is just um, is publishing that paper and getting that word out. So that was where my research career started. And then in 2015, I have this OTD student. And at the same time, Gregor Sarkeesian, who lived just steps from where we conducted ocean therapy, came down and said, you know, I would love to help you with your research. And it has been a lifelong friendship since then. And we went through a lot of different phases with our our at-promise populations. And at first, you know, we did focused interviews, but then there was a lot of bias because they were responding to us in those interviews. And then we had the... um, the clinicians at their specific outpatient sites do the interviews, but there was still something we were missing. And so then it expanded into drawings where we had found some research that art therapy, but even the art interpretation of an experience is really po- powerful in youth. And uh, being mindful that our youth population was from age 8 to uh, 17. and. So pre- and post-ocean therapy, in the morning, they would respond to the Children's Hope Scale and then at the end of the session when they went back to their respective sites, they would uh, respond to that scale again and then they would do a drawing prompt where they were asked, tell us about your experience today and there was just a blank space to draw a picture and then below it was, you know, write a few thoughts about your experience and give it a theme. And so in that, this, this publication is really powerful because, you know, we had focused on the veterans at first during my, my doctoral work, but I really felt this need to return to the youth population. And I ended up leaving the Jimmy Miller Memorial Foundation in the fall of 2017. But this paper is a collection of data from 2016, For 2015 through 2019, I might be off on my dates, but to have this research finally published on, I think it's 121 children's uh, responses is really powerful. And uh, we did see uh, statistically significant benefits in their experience after a one day and a 30-day follow-up of ocean therapy. So um, that paper with Gregor Oh, it's just it, it just feels really good to have it out in the world and published. <laughs> um, and Gregor is the one that he saw this opportunity to publish a large amount of papers. So I think it was a year and a half ago that he said, let's do this. And, you know, all of these practitioners just jumped on and started working to uh, get the information about surf therapy out there because the more evidence, we have, the more it'll become an evidence-based intervention, and maybe our clinicians will start referring people to therapy for their mental and physical health. (laughs) That's the main goal. I also realized that you asked me about the scoping review, and uh, the scoping review is really important for this special issue because we wanted to establish the research that was out there and um, and so it couldn't be a systematic review because there isn't that much out there and we needed to go into dissertations and other
1: pieces
2: of there's a difference there other pieces of evidence and um, so it was really a great opportunity to see what was published and and to do an account of Know what the interventions looked like, what their outcomes were, what uh, what assessment tools they were using, and we wanted to give other surf therapists that springboard as well to to have one place to gather all of this information and to know what's out there to push push their uh, introspection into surf therapy.
0: Right, that's what I was going to say. Is it sounds like it's just going to be a great resource. Um, for anyone who is looking to um, incorporate that into their practice, just to have everything kind of in one place <laughs> uh, would be Correct. super helpful. So, Yeah, and it's pretty amazing in Portugal
2: and in the UK, and and also just recently in New Zealand, uh, they are now referring and funding surf therapy as interventions. So uh, that's the goal is just for doctors to say, "You know what? you have some depression, you need to go do a six week surf therapy intervention, and we'll see where your symptoms are after.":
0: Wow, so how far out do you think we are in the u s from that happening?
2: <sighs> that's hard to say i i That's hard to say, but I think all of this is really pushing it. And one really important piece of evidence in that is that the US military uh, at Balboa Naval Hospital, they were awarded a $1 million grant to study surf therapy. And one of those papers is also published in the special issue, it's Otis et al. And a neat story with that paper I'm sorry, I don't have uh, my notes with the title of that paper. You should just read all of them in the special issue. Therapy is already prescribed at Balboa Naval Hospital. So it's already started in the U.S. It's just expanding it. exciting.
0: I mean, that must be so (laughs) exciting. (laughs) Just for you who (laughs) has been there through, like, the beginning to see it, like, really happening now. (laughs) It's
2: so crazy. And, you know, so I have to tell you this. Well, there's two more stories, but... um, (laughs) I'm such a storyteller. I um, That's that was for part a of the right? <laughs> so, um, so I, I was in. I think I had already let the Jimmy Miller Foundation know that I was, I was going to be moving. I had already moved to the Central Coast of California. Um, I actually met my husband at 35 on the day my OTD was signed, <laughs> and um, and. He was living in San Luis Obispo, which is four hours north of Los Angeles. And, you know, I had done my undergrad in Santa Barbara, which is equidistant between the two in the middle. And um, we had met, fallen in love very quickly. And I had just finished my OTD. And he said, I said, okay, babe, so you're going to move down to L.A. You know, maybe I'll end up, maybe I can... Work with USC or the VA. I'm not sure what I'm going to do, and you can move down here. And he at that time said, you know, Carly, I think that would be really beautiful and awesome. But at the same time, with having a family, I envision you know a lot of space, and I think San Luis Obispo would be a beautiful place to raise a family. And I had to go internal, and uh, you know, I was really, 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 really connected in Los Angeles, and but I had been really happy in my own mental health living in Santa Barbara, which is somewhat similar to San Luis Obispo, just a lot of open, wild space around, little less crowded surf breaks. And, um, and the more I thought about it and as I was coming to visit him, uh, we were doing a distance relationship, I, I really did love uh, that open space. And so uh, I did choose to move and knew it was time, At that time, I had been with the foundation for a long time and I knew it was time also to to spread my wings um, or pass it on, actually, spread uh, Spread Ocean Therapy's wings (laughs) and let go of it a little because um, uh, nonprofit work is 24 hours and a day, you know, I was really emotionally connected to our participants and the program and the foundation and I just knew that I was going to need a little more attention for my kids and my family. And I, I did still run the organization for several years after I had children. So I had I had moved. I did long distance for a while, which I people thought I was crazy traveling with a baby. But um, our families, both my husband and I's families live down there. And they got lots of good family time and exposure to the surf therapy family. But uh, I was I, I was living in in San Luis Obispo and had these small children and I was preparing to leave the non uh, the ocean therapy program but I got this invitation to go to South Africa and uh, Waves for Change is a non profit that works with the townships in South Africa and it's a really incredible six month program and. They had received a grant to bring surf therapy clinicians from around the world down to South Africa to expand the community building of surf therapy and uh, so I was able to go down there and we had also Chosen Chris Promasio, who is now the director of ISTO, International Surf Therapy Organization. She and I went down to South Africa, and she was currently running ocean therapy for me, so I was passing it on to her. And um, in South Africa, all of a sudden, I was with nine other organizations, and you know, most of them had used the paper for different grants and research, and it was so sweet. They they uh, coined me the mother of surf therapy, <laughs> so it was. But it was just, you know, for me in this space of moving on. Or, or, letting go of ocean therapy, but seeing this beautiful community that was just so vibrant and so alive and so ready to take all of the interventions and push them beyond was just a really powerful experience in my professional career and it it kind of gave me that permission to let go because I knew there were just so many, so many talented and accomplished and passionate individuals that were going to kind of take the torch or take the wave and ride it, if you want to be cliche. <laughs> um, so that was just, it was real right? <laughs> so it was, it was really neat as a whole, you know, surf therapy is just one of them, but, you know, there's nonprofits that provide rehabilitation for combat veterans through scuba diving, and they're replanting reefs, and and working with the coral, and it's just, and there's, you know, programs, it's like Walk with a Doc, where you can take a walk with a physician instead of being in four walls in a room, and there's so so many yeah, there's just so many different anecdotes. There's snowboarding programs and stand up paddleboard programs and skydiving programs. I mean, there's just so much, but, and I'm sure being locked inside and at home is going to expand that right now. Like how do we get our access to nature? But, um, but yeah, it's just that it's really neat to look back and see where it's gone. Um, And that's, that I just this is another important segue because I'm not sure where we are on time but with with being a student in occupational therapy it's just the sky is the limit with your ability to create meaningful interventions and I always you know I give a talk on this in the summer every year at USC in the same course where I wrote ocean therapy and I say you know whatever is meaningful to you and whatever gets you through challenging times, whether it's grief or, you know, addiction issues or injury, it's like it's probably going to work for somebody else. And, you know, with occupational therapy, we have so much breadth in our uh, approach to rehabilitation that you can you can do it. Um, And I I wanted to segue as well to Dr. Kylie Hanisch, who I did my OTD work with her, and this is another really creative story in OT where, and I I actually look to her for guidance quite often, is uh, she finished her master's work and was an OT, but then and, and I don't know the exact timeline of this. I just think about it a lot, but she and her husband went and lived on a farm to raise their children when they were young. But concurrently at that time, she gave birth to a stillborn child. And I don't think she realized it at that time, and I think her children, like the oldest one might've been three or four, but she came back to the OTD and we were in school together at that time. And, her husband was doing a documentary about stillborn birth. So she had found the strength to tell her story and Minnie Driver is actually the actress in that documentary. And they told the story of the challenge afterwards. And she is now, she used her OTD in the end and has expanded to retreats, international retreats and outpatient intervention on pregnancy and infant loss. And so It's just, I mean, and that's a really tragic thing, but she found through OT her lens of creating therapies for other people, just like surfing was my therapy when my mother passed away. So, and I I know, just like you said, with how we all get to our OT career, we all have. Maybe that's another podcast, <laughs> but um, but just you know what our what our stories are and how we infuse that
0: into our interventions as OTs. That is so insightful and um, just so interesting to hear how each of these different experiences that people go through can um, shape the lens that they practice occupational therapy through. So. Yeah, that's very inspiring, and um, thank you for sharing about that. Um, so in the interest of just respecting everyone's time, I think uh, Jada did
1: have one last question for you um, just to wrap it all up. Yes. Um, Dr. Rogers, you truly are an inspiration just hearing um, your story and how you got to OT. Um, what is is there any advice you have for ot students who are trying to figure out their passion you know i think i think just
2: really looking introspectively and and you know while studying at home um i know a lot of you are so challenged by leaving you know i found you know i was in several of the weddings you know some of my best friends were in my master's program and I know a lot of you are going straight masters to OTD, but um, while you're at home, and actually I gave this task, this homework to the bachelor's students, and it was to think of um, like five things, right? Five things that bring you mental health and balance in your own daily life. And then using that balance and, and taking that activity and trying to figure out, you know, five ways that you can access that from home and in social distancing. And so I guess that, that does go, this little sidebar from your question, but um, but I think with this time at home, it, it does give us a lot of reflection on what inspires us and and what brings us balance, you know, how are you how are you navigating this challenge, like the stress of schoolwork? And, um, you know, what, what, how are you connecting with your, your loved ones? Like what, like your social experiences, what grounds you in those experiences? You know, how do you work out a, a challenge with, with that scenario? There's just lots of different ways to think about it. But But just as a clinician, you are able to look at your own experience and then use what you've learned in school to create it into an intervention. Um, And I think another question I often get asked is, you know, you can't always get paid for your passions. And so that was one thing that, you know, I did I did do ocean therapy on the side of my pediatric work. And I think, you know, looking at the jobs that you take, seeing what opportunities for continuing education are there, seeing how the administration works in supporting outside opportunities, um, looking into the creative activities of a workspace. And if you do have something personal, or a tangent that you want to go to outside of of more the traditional realms of occupational therapy, just just really think about how that can be infused into both uh, is another way to navigate. Um, I think does that answer it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> thank different you. Thoughts
2: going on that question, yeah,
0: yeah, that's a great answer, and I feel like very helpful. I love that idea of. Um, creating that list, especially at this time when everyone's stuck at home anyways. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's something everyone should do. So, um,
2: Yeah, I got asked that question. Uh, there was a USB student that was interviewing surf therapy, and she's, she's a double major of neuroscience and journalism. And then she was studying surf therapy and PTSD. But she challenged me on that interview, and she said, how is there going to be surf therapy uh, with when you're stuck at home? You know, the beaches are closed in a lot of the world. And and so I had to think about that for myself. And what's beautiful is I have a very lovely OT friend. I call him my brother from Down Under because his name's Joel Pilgrim. He's an OT in Australia. And he has a program called Waves of Wellness, which is – doing really tremendous work and really he, you know, there were significant fires in Australia and he used surf therapy for outreach in those communities. And now he is launching a I don't know if it's I think it's a six week telehealth learn to surf program through the Benefits of Movember organization. And He's launching that next week. And so they have all this amazing work they're doing to launch it online. And it's just, it's just, you're just, all of you students are so fortunate being OTs because if, you know, we really do have the tools to create anything we want. Uh, so I'll leave you with that. Be inspired. <laughs> Not by me, but by occupational therapy. <laughs>
0: No, it's been great getting to talk to you and uh, just learn about someone who's so inspired and um, into what they're doing, and I feel like that's always energizing for anyone to hear. So um, thank you so much for agreeing to be our guest on this podcast today. Um, And just for people who haven't seen your TED Talk, I just did want to say it's called Surfing Infinite Possibilities to heal and that's with dr carly rogers so thank you so much for your time i hope you have a great rest of your day and um i hope you have a great rest of your summer thank you so
2: much chloe and Jada, and i wish you the best in finishing your otds and and staying balanced through (laughs) finishing it on telehealth or on zoom call so um (laughs) I thank you again for this opportunity. It's my favorite talk to give, so... And I wish all the OT students out there just uh, beautiful careers.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Okay. (laughs) Bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed this
0: podcast. Thank you to the student contributors. If you liked it, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. You can also follow us on social media on Facebook at MyOT Journey and on Instagram at MyOT Journey Podcast. Thanks
1: for listening. Go OT!